0: Now, I did mention this morning that um, these verses, 16 through 21, I think what we're getting here is, is uh, part, of the, part of the narration or the, the, the commentary by the Apostle John here. Um, and it's with uh, the discussion that Jesus had with Nicodemus in view. So again, let's go ahead and, and uh, pick up in verse 16 and I'll read 16 through 21. In God. Okay. Now, I said this morning that, uh, and just mentioned a moment ago that I think these, these comments here have Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus in view. So Jesus has just been talking about the new birth. And then He winds that discussion up in verses 14 and 15 by saying this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. So, in other words, what is... What is central here um, is the cross. Okay, Jesus saying, just as, Mo- as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And everything that we're talking about here today and, and last week, um, the new birth and new life in Christ, um, coming to the light, like like we just read about here in verses 17 through 21. Um depend on on that. They depend on what Jesus did at the cross. Verse 16 that we talked about this morning is is dependent upon what Jesus did at the cross. In other words, Christ came um, to be lifted up, to be exalted, to be crucified, to pay for our sins. And it was in this manner that God showed His love or manifested His love for the world that He gave His Son. That is, that He gave Him to be crucified; that He gave Him to be a sacrificial atonement for our sins, so that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And by the way, I didn't—I don't think I mentioned this this morning, but notice that it does say, um, "In this manner, um, God loved the world that He gave." It's not just that; uh, it's a little different language even than what He uses. Uh, in the passage we just read, it's not just that He sent, although He did, that's true. He sent His Son. But it's interesting there that he's, He doesn't just say He sent His Son like, like he, just, he just sent Him to accomplish a work. But he, he gave Him. He gave His Son. He loved the world in this way, that He gave His Son to be crucified so that whoever believes in Him, that is the believing ones, the believing in Him, um, might not perish, but have eternal life. For, verse 17, where we pick up tonight, there again, we got that explanatory for. For, and this is important, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. It's amazing, isn't it? God so loved the world. He loved the world in this manner that He gave His Son. Why? Because He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, John says. He didn't come to judge or condemn the world. He came on a mission, and that is that to give His life to be lifted up so that the ones believing in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, you get that reiterated here. For God did not send His Son into the world "...to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him." That's good. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rescue mission. I remember when that, that poor guy last week um, was swallowed up by the sinkhole in Florida. And I was I was amazed at how quickly they, they publicized, because uh, it was later on that day, I and mean, this had been going on for several hours, but it seemed quick to me, the, uh, whoever was in charge of the operation said, this is no longer a rescue mission. This is, or he said, this is not, this is not a rescue mission. It's a recovery mission. Or, uh, in other words, he made it clear, which we're just, we're just hoping to recover the body, the remains. Uh, boy, it was quick. And you know, that just kind of takes away all I mean, we, we've read stories of miners who were trapped for days and they're still saying, well, you know, we're, we're hoping for rescue here. I mean, our objective is rescue. You know, we're not giving up. And, and these people, uh, I guess because of the immensity of this, I mean, they gave up quick. Uh, I mean, yeah, and I'm not faulting them. I'm just saying hey, apparently it was that obvious, that bad, that obvious, that dangerous. They, they weren't going to send people in there. Um and they just said, you know, this is not a rescue mission. But when you hear that, this is not a rescue mission, you can imagine what that does to the family, right? And as it turned out, you know, I read later, they, they even gave up on recovery. And they just, they just wound up uh, demolishing the house. And, and, you know, they said they, they're, they're not going to be able to recover the body. It's just too dangerous. But when, when that word comes out, you can imagine what that does to the family. Um... No hope. No hope that we're going to see him alive again. Hope is gone. So when you see the, the term rescue here, it's great. There's great hope, especially in, in terms when it's talking about God um, sending his son to rescue. That's what the word save means. Um, it's to rescue. To rescue. He had not sent his son into the world to Condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. That is, be rescued through Him. Through His being lifted up. Through believing in Him. Trusting in, um, in what He has done in His being lifted up. So, this is, this is what John is telling us. This is, this is God's mission. God's mission to save sinners. To rescue it's, it's never changed. It's amazing. I've been reading, a, a, well, I just finished a, a whole book uh, on that subject, as a matter of fact, where it takes you, it's, it's, um, it's uh, uh, the approach that they use with biblical theology, so biblical theological, so what they do is walk you through you know, the, the Old Testament first and then into the New Testament, step by step, just, just as it unfolds in the, in the Bible, um, God's mission. And it's, it's one. I mean, it never changes. He never switches to plan B. He never gives up. He never says, well, you know what? This is, I don't think I can pull it off. <laughs> he starts out from the very beginning. In fact, before the beginning, as we know it, I mean, we, we know it's before the foundation of the world. He made these determinations. But in the, in the very beginning of what we know of as time in history, He says right off the bat, when, when man falls, He says, uh, you know, I'm going to raise up a seed. I'm going to put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent shall bruise his heel, but he shall, that is the seed of the woman, shall crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So right off the bat in Genesis 3, God starts talking about rescue through the seed of the woman. And, and he, never, he never diverts from that. And the next thing you know, Abraham's on the scene and God tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and through your seed... All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed through your seed. Paul tells us later in Galatians, that's talking about Christ. <laughs> that's talking about Christ. Through Abraham's seed. And God just keeps narrowing it down and you know, through, um, through uh, Isaac. And then you know, it winds up through Judah. It's got to be through the tribe of Judah. And it's got to be a son of David. And, keeps narrowing it down, narrowing it down, shedding more light, shedding more light about how it's all going to come to pass until we get to the New Testament and then here He is. Jesus is on the scene. And that's what John is saying. That's why Jesus says He must be lifted up because this has been God's plan all along. And that bronze serpent in the wilderness was just a picture of what Christ was going to do at Calvary. Just just a picture of how Christ was going to glorify the Father and how He Himself is going to be glorified at Calvary. So Jesus says, it must happen in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? Because, verse 17, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn, but to save, but to rescue. And that's the means. His, His crucifixion is the means through which He would save Sinners. Now, he says in verse 18, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So he says, He didn't send His Son into the world to condemn. He sent Him to save. Nevertheless, whoever believes, and we're back to the the believing ones, whoever believes is not condemned. Just like he said in verse 16, just like he said in verse 15, whoever believes may have eternal life, whoever believes may, may not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And that's what I said this morning. That's implied in verse 16. When he says, um, he gave his son his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, he's implying that whoever doesn't believe will perish. And now he says it explicitly. In fact, he says they're already condemned. Whoever does not believe, or whoever believes rather, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God, and that, of course, is the issue. Y'all, does anybody remember what uh, our key verse is for the, for the book of John as we move through here: John: 20 30, 31. you mind reading it out loud? Christ the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. Amen. Amen. John 20, 30, and 31. So the Apostle John says, here's why I'm writing this. So that you may believe and so that believing you may have life in His name. Let's keep that in mind here. Now, he says, whoever believes is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And then he says in verse 19, Now this is the judgment, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. There's the world again. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He did not send Him into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through Him might be saved, Now he says in verse 19, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, keep keep John's purpose in writing in mind. Chapter 20, verse 31. I've written these things so that you might believe. And so that believing... In other words, He wants us to become the believing that that Jesus talks about in verse 15 and and that John talks about in verse 16. He wants us to become the believing in Him ones so that we might not perish and so that we might have eternal life through faith in His name. Keep that in mind. Now, He says, those who believe are not condemned, those who... Do not believe are condemned already, and this is the judgment. Light is coming to the world. Who, 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 or what is the light? Jesus, right, right, and, and you know, and you could say it a couple of ways. No, I mean, it's definitely Jesus first and foremost. Jesus is the light, and we we're told that back in the prologue, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. But it's also um, that it is in Jesus that that light is given to us about God. So, I can say it this way, well, John says it this way in, in 1.18, he says Jesus came to explain God to us. So, in other words, the way, the way that we know truth is through Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The way that, the way that we know God's way of salvation for us is, is in the person of Jesus Christ, so so, light came into the world. When, when Christ came, when the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, light came into the world. But, John says, people loved the darkness rather than the light. What, what people?
1: All
0: people. All people. <laughs> good. Good answer. Uh, good answer. Yeah, all people. Certainly, um, certainly you could say, just generally speaking, you could say the Jews, because John does say that, say he came into his own, his own did not receive him, right? And, and you know, of course, much the same in, with, with some of the Gentiles. But what, what I'm trying to guard against here for us and for myself is we don't, we don't want to think, well, that was just them. No, it's all people. Light came into the world, but men loved darkness. Because their deeds were evil. So here's, here John um, makes this contrast between good and evil using light and darkness as an analogy. And that's, that's something we, we can all understand. I mean, it is so fitting. Matter of fact, it's amazing. How literally that plays out sometimes, I often think you know just on my own experience, and i i've uh sometimes I pick it Leslie, you know because they they don't what happens is actually she'll have doors and windows open during the day a lot of times that's why she doesn't have lights on, but when I get home in the evening, she just hasn't gotten around to cutting them on yet you know and 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 the sun's starting to go down, I pick on her about you know. Loving the darkness, you know. I <laughs> need to get some light in here. I don't. I don't. You know. I like it. I like a lot of light. But um, this is just a, a kind of a living ana- analogy for me. But it's, it, that's what. Say it's amazing how literally it plays out sometimes. That hadn't always been that way with me. Seriously, yeah. And Bob knows when. It's pretty dark, isn't it? And that's the way we liked it. So, and so I mean, yeah, I know that's not what John—he's not talking about literal darkness and literal light—but it's just it—it it does, like I say, it does amaze me how literally it it, it plays out in our lives sometimes. And and uh, you know, in fact, we we would at the end of the night, a lot of, we would be telling everybody, you know, that the bar is closing, you know, doing all the last call stuff, and and trying to get everybody to move out because you don't get on out of there. Uh, the laws to come come in, you know. So so the owners get pretty serious about emptying out the clubs at closing time. I don't know if they have closing time anymore. They used to, but they they would get pretty serious about. It. So you know what the, the final thing would do when they, they they'd be trying to get people out, trying to get people out. People want to talk. Turn the lights on, like a bunch of cockroaches. When you, when, you turn, when you turn when you turn when you turn all the lights on, then people start moving. Like okay. Hmm? Not, so not so pretty, then. That's right. That's right. They left them off so there, really. <laughs> yeah, and you, yeah, and you may not want to see so some of the other things in there. I, I don't, I don't like dark restaurants. Let me tell you. I always wonder, you know, okay, what is it they don't want me to see in here? <laughs> you know, you know what kind of bugs they got crawling around in here. So I, I like restaurants that are well lit. You know, it's not. Uh, not necessarily for spiritual reasons, but uh, but you know uh, it, it just makes me feel better about the food I'm eating uh, but yeah it 's amazing how literally that plays out sometimes. but of course, John is talking spiritually here and and he 's got morality in, in, in view. In other words, people live immorally, and that 's the, that's the darkness he 's talking about Godless, godless, and it is true we like I say, we like to do a lot of those things in the dark. Um, but some things are, are done in broad daylight and they're just as dark spiritually. And so and that's what John's talking about. He's talking about godlessness, darkness. They love people. Light came into the world. The, the epitome, the essence of purity, Jesus Christ, the perfect, the perfect image of God, the brightness of His glory, the writer of Hebrews said. He comes into the world But men love darkness. They love ungodliness. Why? Because they do bad things, what John says. Because their deeds are evil. So so nobody wants to be exposed, like Bob was saying. You don't want to be seen in there. Well, if you're you're engaging in in evil, even though you may be making excuses for it and everything, you may be trying to tell yourself it's okay, when, when God sheds light on it, You know, you don't want that. You want to hide behind a rock or something or conceal yourself and and conceal your sin. Light came into the world, but men love darkness. And what a statement. You would think, okay, everybody's... Because what's the end end of this kind of darkness? This kind of spiritual darkness is is death. It means that we're living in... We're we're walking dead people. So you would think, light comes into the world, everybody would just be saying, you know, hallelujah and, and running for the light. But that's not the way it goes. And John tells us why. Because we loved darkness rather than the light. That's amazing, isn't it? And doesn't it amaze you sometimes when you're witnessing to folks and 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 you know you see the the, and not to be critical, I'm just meaning you see the hurt in their life, and you see the, the need for a savior. I mean you can you can tell that sin is enslaving them and 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 ruining their life, and you share the good news of the gospel, and they would rather stay where they are. They love darkness. And we were the same way. And that's one of the th- things that I don't want us to forget here. Um, so, light comes to the world, but men love darkness. Like y'all said earlier, that's, that means all of us. All of us. It wasn't just a certain, certain group like, like the Pharisees. Well, the Pharisees loved darkness rather than light. That's true, they did. But it wasn't just the Pharisees. It, it's all of us. It's all of us. We love the darkness because our deeds are evil. We do bad things. Verse 20, he says, For everyone, and he's continuing that contrast between the two groups of people, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. And the, the word there that's translated exposed even, even carries the idea of, sh- of shame with it. So in other words, they don't want, to be, they don't want their sin to be made known and, and to be brought to shame, shame and everything. They don't want their evil works to be exposed. But whoever does what is true, interesting phrase, whoever does the truth. So he's contrasting those who do evil with those who do the truth. It's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? I mean, instead of, instead of just contrasting evil and good, those who do evil and those who do good. That is what he's saying, but he's saying it differently. Contrasting those who do evil, those who do bad things, with those who do truth. Truth. So, along with light, I mean, a synonym, I guess you could say, another way of saying it is, is truth. In other words, the light that Jesus brought was the knowledge of the Truth. And not everybody loves truth. In fact, apart from the grace of God, everybody does not love truth. Everybody loves the light. Everybody loves darkness. You know, this this is one of the things too that that stands out to me. And I I think about regeneration and the work that God does in you, what Jesus is talking about back earlier in this chapter. Um, the, the wind blows, and you don't know where you don't you can't control it. And you don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. But you see the effect, right? All right. What's one of the the effects of that? I would say the, the the primary one is you you become a lover of truth, and you become a seeker of truth. That's a mark. That's a mark of the Holy Spirit working in you and on you, because all of a sudden you want to know the truth, and you want to do truth. We've been talking in our in our uh, holiness class, or uh, I guess we could call it the holiness club. You know, John, John Wesley uh, and his friends at uh, uh, Cam- uh, not Cambridge, Oxford, I think—is where he was. But anyway, they had the holy club. You know, so maybe we could have another holy club. <laughs> but in our class, we're doing it at five o'clock, talking about holiness. Um, that's that's what it boils down to: doing the truth. Doing right. Doing right. And and we're commanded to do that. And and John saying, here they are. You've got the two groups of people. Those who do evil and those who do the truth. Everyone who does wicked things, hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true, whoever does the truth, comes to the light. So he's saying, those who do evil run from the light, because they love darkness. And those who do the truth are drawn to the light. They come to the light. They want exposure. That's something, isn't it? But it's it's I think it even gets more interesting here the way, the way that he words it. He says Again, verse 21, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, people who do evil run from the light because they don't want their deeds exposed. So you would kind of expect him to say, people who do the truth come to the light because they do want their good deeds exposed. But that's not what it says. <laughs> they want the work of God exposed. They, they come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works, that is the work of the one who does truth, the person, his works have been carried out in God. In God. So the Spirit blows and Jesus says you don't know where he's coming from or where he's going, but, but you see the effects. And the people on whom He blows, people who are born again, people who do the truth, they want the effects seen. And I think that may be a, a, a hint at another desire and, and that the Holy Spirit puts in us, and that is a desire to see God glorified. You see, there's, there's going to be shame, like I mentioned earlier, when a doer of evil is exposed, that person is shamed. When a doer of truth is exposed, God is glorified. When a doer of evil is exposed, they're shamed. When a doer of truth is exposed, you say, well, then you know, they get brownie points. They're glorified. They get exalted. No, God is glorified. So they, they come to the light so that it is clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. They seek the glory of God. And that, too, is, an, is another, uh, I mean, it hits right at the heart of the, the contrast. And I, I, I know, I guess, well, every one of us do, but I know this from personal experience. Before regeneration, It's all about glorifying me. But for the born-again person, it's about living for the glory of God. Living for the glory of God. Now, before we close here, um, consider this. And and, and think again about... John says, Light came into the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. And we ask the question, well, who's John talking about there? And three or four people here said, well, everybody. Everybody loved evil and therefore hated the light. That's exactly right. Listen to what, this is Ephesians 2. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. Ephesians 2.1 <clears throat> And you were dead in trespasses and sins. And you were dead in, in trespasses and sins. And I think um, Paul is uh, referring back to his train of thought in verse Chapter one, verse twenty. He says when he's talking about the resurrection of Christ, he he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in trespasses and sins, you jump down to 2-1. In other words, you could put like parentheses in between those two verses, one twenty, and two one. Um, that's what he's referring back to because there's no there's no verb here in two one. Raised. But he's looking back, uh, I think, at, at 120. He raised Him from the dead, and you who were dead in the trespasses and sins. Now that's the part I want us to get. We were, we were dead in trespasses and sin. He's talking about spiritual death. Again, walking, walking dead people. It means we were separated from God. And he goes on to describe it this way. Verse 2, In which you once walked, Remember, he's talking to the church here, believers. Talking to you and me. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Did you get that? We were by nature children of wrath. So, you go back to John 3, and John says in verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved, rescued through Him. Now verse 18 says, whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. And what you got to be careful about is to look, you look at that and say, okay, whoever believes in Him, there He's talking about Me. Whoever does not believe is condemned already, there He's talking about those who will not come to faith in Christ. But I suggest to you this. He's he's talking about everybody who has not yet been born again. And not everybody will be. But it even applies to those who will be who are not yet. And that's why I took you to Ephesians 2. Because you and I were children of wrath. Just like The ones here who are condemned already. Not just like. I mean, we're in that crowd. We're condemned already because of our unbelief. You say, well, now today, thank God, we believe. But it's because, well, it's because of, what is it, verses 5, verses 3 through 8. It's because of that because we've been born again by the grace of God, because the Spirit blew our way, and blew on us and in us, and gave life to us, it's because He's made us believing ones. But apart from His grace, we too would be doomed to perish. but good news. <laughs> and this again is what John is saying. And so I, I say this because if there's it, I know we're a small crowd, but nevertheless, if, if is anybody in here that you're not sure and you don't maybe not don't know that you know him in truth, well John says, this is why I'm writing. Because I want you to know. Chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. I'm writing these things so that you may believe that he's the Christ. So that you might have have life through believing on His name. That's why he wrote right here. It's not because he's just saying, well, you're written off, and while these other people over here, these Christians, um, they're good to go. No, he's saying, I'm wanting you to join this crowd. If you're still in unbelief, he's, he's, he's he's telling the world, Christ came to rescue the believing ones. So He's saying, believe. i wrote these things so that you would believe. And so that believing, you might have life. And so that instead of running like a cockroach from the lights, you might be drawn to the light with a desire to glorify God in your life. Let's pray. Father, we do come, Lord, asking for your enablement, for your power to just continually seek exposure to the light of your truth so that you may be glorified in us and through us. We do want to acknowledge that in and of ourselves we have nothing, nothing to show, nothing to say here. Look at what I've done. Nothing to earn any merit with You. So any good that we do, any righteousness that is seen in our life, is is to be brought to light for Your honor and glory. It's not our work, it's Your work. It's what You have brought about, wrought in us by Your grace. Father, we thank You for... your saving power, your will to rescue sinners. And again, just ask that you be glorified in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.